Welcome to the Mind Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by PTI Engineered Plastics. In each episode, we talk to a plastic injection molding expert about topics ranging from product development to tooling, process validation, and automation. We'll discuss industry trends and provide valuable insight into the plastics manufacturing industry of the future. You can learn more about PTI Engineered Plastics by visiting teampti.com. Please subscribe to this free show wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media for all the latest from PTI. Hello, and thank you for joining us today on the Mind to Manufacturing podcast. My name is Kelly Riley, and I'll be your host. On today's episode, we're going to explore the topic of right-sizing your injection mold tooling. And with us today is Chris Bearing, the Tooling Operations Manager for PTI. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Tell us, how did you get started in the industry? Thanks for having me, Kelly. Uh, 1981, I was in co-op and got my first job and been doing it ever since. So we're coming on 40 years and I've been at PTI for 34 years with uh, the position of Tooling Operations Manager for the last 17. Awesome. So tell me, probably seen a lot of changes in the industry what do you think has been the most uh, most time of change? Right after you got into the industry or these last few years? No, the first 30 years or so, everything stayed pretty status quo. The last 10 years, we've uh, saw quite, uh, quite a bunch of changes in both the um, laser printing, the metal centering, um, five-axis machining becoming more... Um, prevalent in the industry, uh, a lot of changes. The last 10 years, even the last five years, have been pretty huge. Rapid change. Yep. Great. Well, that'll lead us right into our discussion of how those changes are hopefully improving the tooling process. And today we're going to talk about right-sizing an injection mold. So what exactly does that mean, and where do you start with your customer in determining what the right size tool is for their project? Do they drive that, or as a Toolmaker, do you have a lot of input in that? Well, we have a small number of customers uh, that do have requirements that we have to follow, okay. and that is based on their um, standards, and that's not really flexible. So, but a larger portion of our customers, being that we are a manufacturing facility with an in-house tool room do allow us to offer the best options for their project. The term right sizing is a little um, maybe deceiving because it doesn't really have anything to do with the size of the mold. Okay. It has more to do with the specifics of a mold. So what, what specifics of the mold are going to make their project outcome the most successful? Well, once you get past their requirements or their standards and it becomes open for, let's just say, common sense or, or a practical approach to, to both make a successful project along with a economical or a, okay. a common sense, okay. again, um, we take into consideration uh, basically three things, and they would be the volume, how many parts are going to need to be produced, the quality requirements that the customer is going to be looking for, and then the resin going to be used. We refer to it as three legs of a stool, so to speak. 
Um, that's just a, a term we use around here in, in a number of different situations. Okay, so yeah, it's, it's the three most critical elements that you would have to um, get from your customer. or Three variables, variables that we have to take into consideration. Each one of those variables then sort of have a trickle down um, with variables for each one of those that allow us a little variance on what we're doing. And then when you combine the three of them, usually you end up with one or two options that makes the most sense. Okay. So um, you've got those three variables. What about cost considerations? How does that often play? Well, in the perfect world, our customers would be open to us on, <laughs> on where they want to allow a lot their money, so to speak. But that's not always the case. So um, the more information we have from the customers, the better. Some customers are piece cost driven and others are capital expense driven. So we can alter the approach of the program to better suit their needs when it comes to that. Um, ultimately, the end product has to be maintained but whether we build, let's say, a four-cavity tool to bring down their piece cost as opposed to a two-cavity tool, we can do that. They pay a little more up front, but depending on the length of the program, they, they would be the ones that would know if that's cost-effective for them. For their program but and what their approach is. Okay. Most tool makers will offer um, many options as far as something like that would go. So that that can they the customer can decide where where their money needs to be allocated and how that's going to best serve their overall program. Correct. So okay. once we come up with the right sizing of the mold, with what type of mold we're going to make, now the variable would be where are we going to spend the money? Do we make that right size mold a one cavity, two cavity, four cavity? Um, where does their money? Where is the customer's money best spent? Okay. Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about, so we're, we're trying to figure out, let's say if this is a, a production tool versus a prototype tool, um, when, let's talk about prototyping and like when is that used, how does that help the customer? Well, I've seen through in the industry, um, a lot of customers have gone away from prototyping. The term prototyping is, is kind of changing also. There's so many different ways to approach programs up front with plastic printing and whatnot that we prefer to call it development tooling. Okay. Just that's our personal preference. It's a semi the same thing. But I've seen a lot of customers go away from development tooling thinking it's a waste of money. Most of them come back to development tooling mm. because in the long run, that money spent up front is very valuable at the back end of the program. Um, the uncertainty in the parts, the uncertainty in the program, um, how critical the part might be, those are all great reasons to spend a little bit of time up front with development tooling. So kind of more more lessons you have to learn or even if... if you're coming in and you have a design, you might not even know. It's kind of like you don't know what you don't know, and that's where prototyping will help you out. Correct. And we do a lot of medical work, and for the medical industry with FDA and different requirements okay. that they have to face, 
having some actual parts in hand are um, very valuable to our customers. Like a proof of concept? Proof of concept, proof of function, proof function. of fit. Okay. Um, multiple testings usually have to go through our parts once the customer has them in their assemblies uh, whatnot. So, um, yeah, an actual part that was plastic injection molded tells them a much truer story. Okay. Um, what about using those tools, a development tool, to help you segue into what your production volume might be, uh, like a bridge tool? Bridge tooling is a very cost-effective and beneficial form of tooling for our customers. We approach our development tooling based on history of our customers to be able to easily segue and become a bridge tool. The way we approach development tooling is assuming that that tool is going to need to support some sort of a minor production, early production going forward. Um, there's no benefit to our customers' quick-to-market goal. If we build a prototype tool, prove out that it works, and then have to take 12, 16, whatever it might be to go into their production into the before production anything tool. can happen. Okay. So we approach our tooling, our development tooling, and we learn this over the years based on our customers that we can segue right into production support off of our development tooling. Which can really help a customer with their timeline. Um, do you find sometimes when they get going with that production on that bridge tool, do people often then still go on and build a different production tool? Or I guess it maybe depends on the life of the program or volume. A lot of variables. A lot of times they do. Sometimes they don't. We run some bridge tooling, 10, 12, 15 years. So okay. I guess it, it eventually, would, I guess eventually <laughs> it would lose its, uh, the term bridge. But, um, yeah. But it's a, it's a way to help support a customer and get people going to market maybe a little bit quicker. Our customers, as are all customers out there, it's very competitive. Time to market is it's maybe critical. the biggest thing. And then to be able to continue to feed the pipeline with those parts, no sense starting the pipeline and then having to cut it off. Right. Um, so somebody out there is going to be delivering parts. So the sooner we can get parts in a consistent flow of parts, the better for everybody. The better it is. Okay. So let's talk a little bit. Um, you've determined a lot of different project requirements. How do you determine what class of molds you're going to build? There's SPI standards. Where do those play into the right sizing of a tool? Well, the SPI standards out there, if you read them, they are basically based on volume or life of a tool. A guideline? A guideline for volume. How many parts are you going to ask for this tool in its lifetime? Okay. A class 101 being the best tool, the most complex, the most intricate, the most bells and whistles, so to okay. speak. Those are tools that typically are going to run more than a million parts in the life of the tool, more than a million shots. I, I'm sorry. Um, our customer base and I think the industry itself is going away from that a little bit. It's still a great guideline, but 
a lot of our customers have higher standards than what SPI calls for. Okay. We're building class 101 tools that might run 10,000, might run 15,000, some specialty products out there that need the requirements that a class 101 tool would give them forces us to build that tool for much lower volumes than back in the day, the good old days. In the good old days, right. So even, um, I'm just thinking back to the discussion of what's important first in right-sizing, like a material, an abrasive material or a high-temp material, something like that might help also, um, or not help, but would determine that you're going to have to build a higher class of tool just because of that resin. Yes, that that is one of the okay. one of the factors. Um, you find that across industry, or is it more specific to medical? Or are you finding that with different types of industry, maybe a defense application, aerospace? It's definitely mostly medical. It does segue into a couple other industries. The ones, the industry that sticks to SPI for the most part is automotive. Oh, okay. Because the automotive industry standards and whatnot have not changed too much. Um, They're still rigid, but basically if you use the SPI guidelines, you're pretty safe with the auto industry. With that. Okay. So it could also be industry driven. Okay. So um, let's talk about the types of materials that you would build a tool with the tool construction, um, types of materials, meaning steel, aluminum. Um, you've got factors that play into that, I'm assuming, too, like the resin and whatnot. So what can you tell us about different grades of steel and aluminum that are used in tool construction? Well, we, again, offer a lot of options. So aluminum being the the start of our options. I mean, that is typically for the lower volume tools, the ones with less um, quality requirements, the the ones that are going to be running out with a less abrasive resin. Um, We do use the QC10 aluminum, which is a very high grade of aluminum, so we can stretch what we offer, the type of tooling we offer out of aluminum, more than maybe some. Um, But then you segue into the P20s. We use a special type of a P20 also in a little bit of a higher end. It's um, a brand name is NAC55. It's just a cleaner, a little more, a little more rigid. Some the tensile strength is a little higher. It can polish a little better than P20. Um, so we use that often on some okay. of the more intricate tools. It's a nice bridge between a P20 tool and a hardened S7, hardened H13. We build stainless steel molds for our high heat applications. Um, We have a wide range of materials we use, and we like to think that we're uh, pretty good at deciding which materials need to be used in which situation. For which application. So, and again, that would be um, cost-driven, too, depending on the budget of the tool. If, if, If we're looking at the price of the tool maybe being the focus of the customer's cost, deciding on what combination. Can you use a combination of these different materials in a tool build? Where would that be appropriate? Well, we do use a combination almost all the time. Okay. Um, Cost is a big player in this. 
Um, delivery is a big player in mm. this, but ultimately the end product has to be what's going to meet the customer's needs. Expectation. Aluminum, easier to cut, easier to bench, easier to do a lot of things, has cooling properties that are very beneficial, um, won't last as long. Will last longer than a lot of people think, but won't last as long as obviously a P20 or an Act 55 tool. And those will not last as long as a hardened H13, hardened S7 yeah. tool. So each step you take up, there's going to be a longer delivery and a higher cost. Now, what we do to try to compromise that to give the customer the best options possible is what materials fit best. And by that, I mean we, we do a lot of what we consider hybrid tooling. We'll build... Um, lower volume production, developmental tools out of QC10 aluminum, but the finer details, the tighter shutoffs, the wear areas, we will insert out of a P20, again, a NAC 55, or at some extremes, hardened materials just so that we assure that that tool is going to last its lifetime. The same can be said if we're offering a customer what is referred to as soft tooling, which P20 is considered soft tooling. Um, we will do inserts out of that with hardened inserts. Okay. So we, we try to give the most bang for the buck as the, you know, the everyone options. does for their customers. And, and right sizing. So that's what you want to look for. For really in in your mold builder is someone who's putting together all those pieces of the puzzle that's right sizing the tool for the project um, using all the different options that are available right I've had people come to me and say that offer us to quote projects and we offer them options based on all the stuff we've just talked about and they say well when we talk to other people, they say it has to be this. Why is that? Um, I can't speak for why other people do certain things. I just know that it would be much easier if we just had one way to build tools <laughs> and we everything was done the same way. There are people out there that do that, very successful at it, and um, everyone has their niche in the market. So what I think our niche is is options. Giving the most options to right-size that tool. Yes. Okay. Um, have there been cases, like, can you give us an example of maybe where something like a, a hybrid tool worked in an environment or application that you wouldn't have expected it to? Is there any anything that stands out? Well, one that comes to mind, and we used it as a example for a, uh, for a long time and this was probably 15 years ago i'm getting older so maybe it was longer <laughs> we were doing work for a tier one who was building a when electric cars were starting to first like really get aggressive okay um most oems do not want or do not allow their production tools to be made out of aluminum however based on the newness if that's a word, pro, um, aspect of this program, the cost considerations needed, and more importantly than any of it was the timing. Timing, okay. This Tier 1 needed to get these parts at a very limited budget built onshore in the United States, 
for their OEM, and they we went to them with options. They went back to the OEM and said, the only way we're going to meet your needs is by allowing us to build production tools out of aluminum. Everyone agreed. We built production tools that originally were guaranteed and told to us that they needed 10,000 to 12,000 parts a year for four to five years. That's what we agreed to. The project ended up going eight years, and okay. we were at 40,000 parts a year, okay. and we went through the whole program without any issues, and that was where we say bridge tooling. I mean, that was more of a form of bridge tooling, but it was actually a production environment. There were 17 tools involved. The program went very well, and um, it was a success story that we could relay to other customers. That, that's a really good example of integrating what the idea of bridge tooling is and hybrid tooling, putting all those things together to right-size the tool. Well, we, we covered a lot here today. Um, I'd like to continue this discussion in our second episode. And what we'll do there is we'll talk more about the critical elements of a tool, um, how that impacts the construction, the efficiency, the performance of the tool. So um, is there any one little thought that maybe you want to leave our listeners with and we'll wrap up for today? The only thought I guess I would leave with um, anybody listening to this, either from what would be considered our customer side or maybe other mold shops out there, is with all the different requirements in the industry today, options if somebody's not offering you options, then they're not doing you a service okay. that I believe they should be doing you. That they can. Because okay. there's plenty of options to help with plenty of aspects of every program. It's ever-changing. You're looking for options and someone that can provide that. Yep. All of our goals are to finish the program with quality parts that meet the customer's requirements. In order to do that, again, I'm repeating myself, but there's plenty of options out there great okay well thanks for joining us today chris and we'll meet back here for our next episode well, thanks for having me kelly you've been listening to the mind to manufacturing podcast brought to you by pti engineered plastics you can subscribe to the mind to manufacturing podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and please don't forget to leave us a review Want to learn more about PTI Engineered Plastics Custom Injection Molding Services? Please visit TeamPTI.com and follow us on social media. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll meet you right back here for our next episode.